Heavenly Father, we are grateful to know you. We are grateful tonight to know Jesus, to be among the redeemed, the saved, those who are going to be with you forever and ever, for endless ages. We thank you for the word of God. And we thank you that you are in the details. You are in the storyline. You are actively involved in the here and now, in the current events that are unfolding. And so, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as I share, and all those who will hear this right now or or through the recording, you would inspire them and encourage them and refresh them and help them to think biblically about what is unfolding in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Okay, so we are, again, we're talking about thinking biblically about current events. And I'm going to quiz my kids in the back when I'm all done, so better pay attention. I'm just kidding. I might, though. But uh, I have written here under letter A, and, and like I always say, these are on the website right now. If you want to go download them on our website, gphop.org slash teachings. They are available right now. But the last two or three months, as you are well aware, have been extraordinary in the most literal sense of the term. It's been an unusual time. And I would go so far as to say it's been an unusually extraordinary season. And just to kind of go through what's all been happening in a two- to three-month period, we're all well aware, but just to say it together is pretty shocking. We've seen the unfolding of a global pandemic. We've gone through months of this shelter-in-place orders from state and federal officials. There's been record unemployment Record levels. There's been nationwide unrest due to protests, riots, and looting stemming from the death of George Floyd. And this past week, there was the funeral on television and still unfolding unrest even till, till tonight. And so there's this race-related tension in society and in church that's happening. And then there's this heightening political drama because we're going to have another presidential election so everything gets more partisan the closer we get to November. And so this is all happening. This is all unfolding in the last two, three months together. And on top of that, what I have written here in the introduction is there was a suddenness to all of this It just feels like it came out of nowhere. And so that aspect of it is also sort of bewildering that it just seems like out of nowhere there's this pandemic and then there's this, uh, you know, societal unrest. And Brother Andrew made it just starting in the the, uh, introduction here. (laughs) Good to see. The notes are coming for you. There we go. And so there's this, all these things happening, there's a suddenness to all of it, 
And it just seems like our way of life was so drastically altered so quickly all of the sudden. And so I've been saying that I'm going to start on this uh, new series on prayer, but this unusually extraordinary time has made me want to kind of put that on the shelf and just talk about what's been happening these last few months. And so we'll get to the prayer topic in a, in a week or two, but, but I just wanted to first of all acknowledge that what we have gone through the last two to three months is truly extraordinary, and I would say it's not normal. You know, some people search for what is the meaning of normal, and I just think, well, we've never had all of these dynamics of protests and riots and pandemics, all of these things crash together in a two, three-month period. We've not seen that, I don't think, in our lifetime. Maybe once or twice, not in mine, but there's just a lot of things coming together at once. And so I just wanted to say that this is unique, and if you're weary, it's okay to admit that. It's okay to say, gosh, these last two, three months have been crazy. I'm worn out. I've just been scratching my head. I've been fearful. I want to acknowledge that tonight for those who can hear me on Facebook or those in the room. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to admit if you're like, what is happening? I've had people say, Derek, I think it's the end times, you know, and of course, I'm, I'm going to touch on a little bit about that, but there's almost this apop- apocalyptic feel to what we've gone through, you know, just 100,000 plus people dying in America and many more in other nations and then all over the world, people are rioting and protesting and strife and it just feels unusual and it's because it is, it's not normal for us to go through this kind of a season. But on a human level, I just want to acknowledge that it's, it's okay to just kind of be like, what? What, what is going on? Are we ever going to get back to the, that sense of normalcy? And everybody wants to say, well, there's a new normal. Well, I, I get that we want to kind of rename everything just to kind of, but I know what people mean. They want to get back to the, the normal kind of life, and that's, that's kind of human to want that. And it's just the uncertainty that has rattled us a bit. It's the suddenness of all this. And so now, this is down to letter C. You know, last week, those who heard me, I talked about overcoming evil with good. That's kind of the Christian response to all the strife that's going on. That's, you know, no matter what's happening, we stay vigilant. We, we will remain salt and light, not just when it's hard, but when it's, when it's easy, when it's hard, both. And so I exhorted us in that regard, but tonight I want to just even take another step back from what we are to do as far as action, and I want to talk about our thoughts. Our thoughts, how do we think as Christians about what is unfolding because the scriptures are obviously there there's nothing more relevant than the scriptures but we need to take time to process okay what does the bible say and what does it mean for today and so i just want to touch on some of these some of these things because 
thinking through the events that are unfolding in light of Scripture is, is one of the things we're called to do as Christians. And so we do good to others. That's what I talked about last week. But we also need to prayerfully interpret, you know, what does this mean? Well, you know, where is this going? And what are you teaching me through these last few months? You know, Jesus exhorted us. In fact, in uh, Luke 12, he, he rebuked the Pharisees because he said, you guys can discern the, the sky and when it's going to be fair weather or, or not, but you can't discern the season you're in. And so there is this, this expectation that he has as his followers on us that we should know what's happening and how to respond. And so there's this sort of this expectation that we would be thinking through this on a deeper level. You know, the average person out there is kind of just going, uh, wow, I hope this ends one day. And as Christians, you know, we want that too. We're also human. That's the shared experience. But God wants us to go more than like, I hope this changes from negative to positive one day. He wants us to have answers for people that are rooted in Scripture, he wants us to be able to explain to others, here's the reason I have hope in my heart, despite what you're seeing. And he, he wants us to have a sense of personal clarity rooted in Bible verses so that we can help others. First of all, he wants us to be anchored, but then he wants us to be able to share with our spouse and kids and neighbors and, and others we interact with or those we're discipling to help give them a sense of Hope, even when it seems things are difficult. And so that's what I'm going to do tonight. Tonight what I want to do is just provide a grid, a way of thinking. And these are things that I think about that help me to process. And so I'm just going to give you a lot of Bible verses and, and just essentially saying, take this, think about it, pray about it, take it into your own prayer time. And again, going to try to get done and... 30 minutes or less, I'm about 20 minutes, or about 10 minutes in here. Okay, and, and this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. This is just supposed to be, you know, a springboard of thought, if you were. Um, let's go down to number two, thinking biblically about current events. Letter A. Uh, as Christians, thinking biblically is imperative. It's important that we develop over time biblical thought patterns, that we think in the same way that Scripture reveals. And that is, that is so freeing when we begin to interpret the world as God wants us to based on Scripture. So that's imperative. And what we're ultimately after is the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the Bible. We don't want to just take, you know, oh, there's a, a verse that I really like. I'm just going to kind of take that out of context and run with it. We don't want just our favorite Bible verses. We want what the whole Bible says and what the Holy Spirit means by it. And we discern that by praying over it, studying it, things like that. It's, it's, a, it's a lifetime endeavor. But the more we read it, the more we study it, the more we begin to understand it. I, I mean, when I was... First a Christian when I was about 18 years old is when I devoted my life to the Lord. I mean, I remember reading the Bible and I had to learn everything brand new. 
You know, I mean, you, you got to start somewhere. And so I remember, I remember when I first read about Paul for the very first time in my life. I mean, I grew up Catholic, went to Mass every Sunday, but I never really thought about the Bible. I wasn't genuinely Christian. And so when I became a follower of Jesus, the, the Word just, I, I, I just had such a love for the Word, wanted to read it more, and I still have that love, praise God. And, but I remember I'd, I'd first, I first read about Paul, and I remember thinking and journaling, like, this Paul guy is awesome. Man, he got converted, and now he's preaching. And I mean, the most basic things, I had to start learning basic over time. And uh, just my encouragement is stick with it, and you'll begin to think more biblically the more you just pour over Scripture. So I, uh, so I put here, we're after the Holy Spirit's interpretation of particular relevant issues, in, including current events. And just a few verses here, Scripture exhorts us to think about what's true. In fact, in Philippians 4.8, it says, think on these things, think on what's true, think on what's lovely, think on what is of a good report. And it goes down a list and says, here's how you think as a Christian. And it's, it's common sense, really. I mean, don't like think all day about lies and evil things. I mean, it's like, think about what's true, think about what's beautiful, and on and on. So that's what Scripture exhorts us to do. Scripture exhorts us, this is Paul in Romans 12 too, renew your mind. Renew your mind through Scripture. There's this renewing of our mind, this, this new way of thinking as we read the Bible. Fears lose their place and lies lose their place as we fill our mind with truth. Scripture tells us to know and be familiar with truth. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. The more we pour over Scripture, learn the truths within it, we're set free on an emotional and mental level. It's freeing to know what's true about God and reality. Now, uh, all this being said, let's go through a number of ways of thinking about current events. I keep saying that. And you can use these paradigms to view future events because they're all timeless truths. They're all useful in any year or any given situation. Uh, and there's a, a few bullets, again, to springboard. Not, not a full list here, but the, really the main verse I want to read through is in Colossians 1. I was reading through a lot of different verses today, but Colossians 1 just really just blessed me. Colossians 1.16. We'll start in, in Colossians 1.16. Paul is writing to the church in Coloss about Jesus, and he's saying in verse 16, he says, by him, he's talking about Christ, by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. There's just such a, a, a beauty to Colossians 1. He goes on to say, He is before all things, and in him all things consist. 
And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. And then he ends this verse by saying that in all things he may have the preeminence. It's hard to condense the full plan of God into a few verses, but I think Paul does it pretty well right here. Paul basically says Jesus was before everything. He's God. He's one with the Father and the Spirit. We, we serve God in Trinity. We serve one God expressed as three persons. That's the Trinity. And so Jesus pre-exists all things in perfect unity with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And He, Jesus the Word, brings everything in creation into existence in Genesis 1. That's, that's the, the cause of all things coming forth in creation was Jesus said it and it happened. And this is what Paul's describing here. And that all was set in motion so that in all things he would be supreme over it all. And that's just such a towering thought. That Jesus, that he would have, the NIV says supremacy, or what that word literally means is first place. The, the plan of God is that Jesus made everything and that he would be above everything always. He wants to be number one in our life. He wants to be number one in our business, number one in our marriage, number one in the nations. And that is going to happen. It's in part right now. I mean, he can be number one in our life and number one over a business, but he's not number one in every nation for sure. And so this is where it's all heading. And once you start to really grasp that it's all heading to that point, and that whatever's rumbling in the world is to shake things loose to get to that point, once you begin to grasp that, it makes sense. That all of the upheaval, all of the nations uprising and downfall, and all of the things happening in all of creation is unto this very end, that Jesus Christ, the man in the New Testament, would have first place in every category, in every life, in every country for the rest of eternity. That's where it's going. And so it's important to sort of put that up there as, okay, that's the end goal. I mean, this is why Jesus came 2,000 years ago and died on the cross to take away our sins so that we could be in fellowship with Him forever, you know, to express his will in our life, in our generation, so that his purposes go forward. And one day he's going to bring it all together with Christ Jesus at the very forefront of all things, which is just an awesome thought. So we start there. We start with the end goal of all redemptive history is the Father wanted Jesus to have the preeminent place in everything. Now, why is that? Because someone, someone would say, well, it sounds like God is so into himself that he just wants to be worshipped by everything. And that just seems kind of weird. 
And you hear that a lot. Like, it just sounds like God is on like a cosmic ego trip and that he is so obsessed with himself that he has to be first in everything. But here's the thing, though. God actually deserves that place. And when you deserve that place... When you are the person that should occupy that spot, and you do, everything else works. <laughs> and so the, the, the struggle of endless ages has been man trying to put himself there and wondering why it's all broken. You know, we know from the beginning of time, the covering cherub, I talked about this for five weeks there was a covering cherub named Lucifer, and he decided one day, I want that job. I want God's position. And so he tried, and he fell like lightning, Jesus said. He led a rebellion. He, he wasn't content letting God have preeminence. He wanted it. He got jealous. And so he begins to wrestle for that position, and it didn't go well for him. And, and so we have this unfolding drama since practically day one and if you're more interested in that there's there's that's on the uh, the website five teachings on the angelic hosts that I did during the uh, quarantine but there's no one who deserves the the place of the one to receive worship other than God the true and living God, Jesus said in John 17. He referred to the Father as the true and living God. And he deserves to have that top place. And so the Father, it's interesting, there's this inner connected reality of Father, Son, and Spirit, and they're all trying to give honor and glory to the other person of the Trinity, though it's one God. There's yet three distinct persons, and so there's this interesting, it is what it is. Paul tells us it's all about him having preeminence. It's all about him being supreme. It's all about him having first place. So that's where we start. Now we go down to number one here. I'm going to go about four or five quick thoughts. With that sort of the backdrop, we want to think about the big picture. This is kind of a kind of a, a an accompanying thought. We have to settle what we think about the big picture. And so no matter what's happening in the world, whether it seems positive or negative, whether it seems good or bad, scripture assures us that God is doing it or allowing it so that he gets glory and so that we as his followers benefit, so that we grow in our relationship with him. He is doing everything in the world and he's allowing everything that's happening so that he is glorified and so that we receive his goodness as those who are uh, lovers of God in Christ, Romans eight twenty eight. Paul says it so well in Romans 8, 28. He's working all things for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. That's what he's doing. 
It's all about Jesus receiving the, the first place. It's all about Him being honored and glorified, but also for our own good and benefit as well. Now here's the thing. God is sovereign over every nation. He's sovereign over the the rising and falling of nations and kings. It says in Daniel 2, he raises up kings, he pulls them down. He's in control of that. He's in charge. He does it. He pulls up men that lead nations. He pulls them down when he's done. Now, it looks to us like elections and whatnot, but he's involved in it all. He's involved in every blade of grass rising and falling. There's nothing that he never notices. He's actively involved in every circumstance, every operation, ranging from the most complex galaxies all the way down to the most minute cellular, atomic, biological structure. He is intricately involved in the way the Milky Way is spinning tonight, which we're a part of. He's intricately involved in all the vast outer workings of outer space, and yet he's He's there at the atomic level making sure this does that in everything. Always, forever, he's that involved. We serve a very involved, brilliant scientist kind of God. I mean, it's just, it's unfathomable when you think about how can you be that smart, but that's God. I mean, when you can speak and universes come into an ex- existence, it's just incredible. I mean, you're, you're just a pretty cool dude. Now, all that to say is that everything is ultimately about Jesus being in first place in every way and nothing escapes his notice. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing is too big or too small for him not to be fully involved with. And he's working all things. I mean, literally all things at the biggest and smallest level so that Jesus would be lifted up, so that God would be glorified, and so that we would be the beneficiaries, and so that we would enter into a deeper relationship with him. This is the bigger point. This is why I'm sharing it tonight. Because I'm going to talk specifics in a minute, but we have to get this grid that this is not random things colliding in our sort of our, our political stratosphere. There, the, the, nothing's randomly happening. God is so committed to involvement and he's allowing and causing all sorts of things and he's weaving together his plan with human free will in this sort of unbelievable symphony that produces his desired end. Nothing escapes his notice. And once we begin to wrestle with this bigger picture and we realize it's all about him, it's not ultimately about me or us, it's about him. It's so freeing. That's kind of point number one, this big picture. Number two, we understand that there are seasons under heaven. Ecclesiastes, the author of Ecclesiastes, says there's times and seasons for everything. Of course, that was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that, but sometimes we don't think about that, that the season we're in is ordained by God, and it has a desired end. And that end is so that Jesus would have supremacy, but there's other things that he desires as well. 
But there is an appointed time and season for everything, including the one we're walking through right now. There's a season of escalation of bad or evil that God is allowing to serve his own purposes. And someone would say, how can God do that? Well, again, you have to study scripture because this is, this is a, an important biblical concept that God is sovereign over what the enemy tries to do. We see that in Job's life, in Job 1 and 2. The enemy was given essentially a, a, you can go this far and no more to serve my purposes in Job's life. We see in Jesus' life, it says that he was drawn into the wilderness and the devil tempted him in the wilderness. And so God was drawing him there to do a work in his life, but the enemy tried to do a work in his life too. And so there's these competing things going on that we have to understand. And so right now, it seems like there's this escalation of evil in this season in our country. Again, riots and pandemics and all these things. It seems that way because it is true. And there's this ebb and flow between intense spiritual conflict and less conflict. It just ebbs and it flows. But again, these seasons are ordained. God knows. There's this ebb and flow between peace and war, both in literal uh, meaning of the, of the word or in spiritual. There's spiritual war, there's literal war, and it ebbs and it flows throughout history under God's sovereign leadership. Now, right now, there seems to be this increase of warfare, spiritual warfare on a national or even an international level. You know, I think what's been happening in America, it's been spilling over to all kinds of different countries. And so there's just this heightened unrest that's touching the whole globe. Now, there's unrest in the globe always, but there's just, it seems more prominent. And, and from my, you know, prayer and discernment, the suddenness of it, the intensity, the combination of factors, it all seems to have that feeling, that trademark yeah, this is the enemy moving in a heightened way. Because again, there are those people who want to say, oh, I have a headache on Monday, and they call that spiritual warfare. Well, maybe you just didn't sleep well. You know, we can't call everything the devil, but when you see this rapid, sudden, heightened sense of evil all over the, the nation and the world, you just, yeah, that's, again, God's sovereign, but this is, this is darkness, can't stress this enough. Once again, it ultimately serves God's ultimate purpose to create optimum earthly conditions for people to know, love, and worship Jesus, to have supremacy in all things. I would also encourage anyone to get a grid for the end times. That's so important that we get a right biblical lens for the unfolding of the end times because Scripture indicates that both good and evil will increase simultaneously until they reach their fullness before Jesus comes back. You can look at the, uh, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus says, let them grow completely to maturity together. And so there's this idea of good and evil. Good people and evil people getting to the fullness of good and the fullness of evil together before the Lord comes on that day. Joel 2.11, the prophet Joel says that in the day of the Lord, which is a, when Jesus comes again the second time, he describes it as a great and terrible day. 
And so there's going to be this incredible greatness and this incredible terror that is going to be woven together and it's going to be the church's finest hour. The church is going to have unusual peace. The church is going to have victory and we're going to be preaching the gospel, loving our neighbors, doing miracles that point people to Jesus. All these things are going to happen. So those are some of the Bear with me here. Some of those higher level things to think about. I'm going to bring this to a close here as quick as I can. Three practical current event thoughts. Starting with number three. I believe the Holy Spirit is most certainly emphasizing the racial issue right now. Not because it's in the news. I believe the Holy Spirit is... You know, sometimes when we, you know, situations are unfolding and we kind of go like, oh man, there's a lot of rioting and looting and it seems like the devil's winning. But we as Christians look at situations and we go, no, I see that the enemy's trying to do something, but God's also trying to do something. And if you look about what's happening right now in this Black Lives Matter Uh, moment, it's clear the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to pay attention to this and really begin to think through what it means for your life. Because this is a God thing. This is God bringing a moment of reckoning to us. What do we have in our heart toward other races or skin colors? And so he's surfacing this. And so we want to have a special sensitivity in our heart to our African-American brothers and sisters, but even bigger than that, we want God to teach us, you know, He loves all the races equally. There's no superior or inferior race. And we have to understand that. We've got to be okay with Him leading uh, our life through people who are different than us, a different race, a different country, a different gender, etc. We've got to be open to that because that's how He leads. And so He's bringing this moment of reckoning through this situation involving George Floyd. And so I would just encourage you to let the Spirit examine your heart and just pray over, God, what are you saying to me right now through this this sensitive time where, where the race issue is very prominent? Listen to our uh, African-American church leaders and just kind of pray through what they're saying. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, Tune into as many conversations as I can and just learn. And, and uh, so, so I, I think that that is something certainly we must think about that is uh, a current event that's unfolding. What's up, buddy? Do you want to say something? Oh, <laughs> Caleb's the only one in the front row. He wins tonight. You know, I'm really glad that the Spirit of God is surfacing this racial issue because we really think, you know, I love God. Well, But John says, if you don't love your brother, you don't actually really love God. And so some people think like, oh, I love God. And they, you know, they, they don't realize they're, they do feel superior than that people group over there or they they can't stand that people group or they maybe even have hatred in their heart toward that people group over there and so the lord is saying 
I, I want to expose that stuff because it, it's not real. You can't say, I love you, God, but I hate you over there, made in the image of God person. And there are more people than want to admit they really struggle with racism. I mean, it's real. It's in the church, not just out there. I've been in many Christian meetings and prayer meetings where there was truly people uncomfortable with a black or brown person in that meeting. And it's stuff we have to really deeply, we have to repent about it. And so I'm saying, Lord, touch my own heart, sensitize me, change me. We all need to, to embrace that. God's doing that. I really think we're going to see an emergence of black leaders in our generation, and we need to support them and get behind them and learn from them. I mean, I, 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 I love leaders from all nations, but I think we're going to see an explosion of leadership arise in the, in the American church, particularly among the black communities. And that's what I'm praying into. I've been praying into that, and I want to keep doing that. I want to keep going that direction. Praise the Lord. I think the Holy Spirit is also emphasizing, he's exposing a couple of idols. Gosh, I'm going long. Forgive me. I'll wrap this up as as quick as I can. But he wants us to start thinking a little bit more about what, do you love money too much? Do you you have an excessive preoccupation with health? I think the the pandemic and the, the, the unemployment and all of these things, it's, it's God's way of saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to just touch this for a moment. What's going on in your heart right now? Is money above me? Is career above me? Because if it is, I need to touch that. I need, I, need the, I need me above money and career and this preoccupation with help because I'm the one that gives money. I'm the one that gives jobs. I'm the one that gives health. And you, you, you have to. Res- we, we all have to respect that. Again, it's it's of course great to have money and health. <laughs> they are really good. They are necessary good aspects of life. They're even biblical. John, uh, John and John, Third uh, John two. He prayed, "Beloved, I pray that you are healthy and prosperous." I mean, that's an apostle praying that. And yet. If my love for money or my excessive desire to be healthy, which in America we're obsessed with, if that's above God, there's something, there's something wrong there. And so the Lord just wants to touch on that. So what, have, what are the thoughts and feelings been going through your heart in these last few months? Maybe he wants to talk to you about that area. Maybe he wants to just kind of put his finger on that. Because here's the thing. If we lose everything, but we have Jesus, we have it all. Because this earth comes and goes. Jesus said it's like a flower that's here and gone tomorrow. It fades and then it's it. And so we, we have to let him convince us he's better than being as rich as Jeff Bezos of Amazon, who's the richest man in history. If we had that, but not Jesus, we don't have anything. Guys, I don't want to get to heaven and, and hear anything but well done, good, faithful servant. Because he's certainly not going to say, well done, awesome celebrity. Well done, famous celebrity. You are awesome. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe you're here. Can I get your autograph? Jesus is not going to say that. He's going to say, you served me so well. 
And that's all I want. I want to hear, well done, Derek. You did well. You did great. You did exactly what I asked you to do. It's not about money. It's not about ascending. To, I mean, here's the thing. Jesus isn't against your money or your career or you being healthy. But when it forces God down the list, it becomes troublesome. And so he, again, he wants to have the supremacy in your life because when he's at the top spot in first place, your money is right, your job is right, and your health is right. So we got to let him talk to you about that, uh, that as well. I'm going to go quickly down to number five, the subject of the judgment of God. This is another current event issue that people have been talking about a lot the last couple months. As soon as the coronavirus hit our country, our country was ablaze with talk about, is this the judgment of God or is it not? What side are you on? And I've heard spirited opinions on both sides of the spectrum and sprinkled in between. And that's going to happen no matter what happens in the earth. You're going to have preachers who say this is definitely not the judgment of God. You're going to have preachers who say it definitely is. And you're going to get versions in between every time. You're going to have prophets say this. You're going to have prophets say the complete opposite. Everything that ever happens, you will see that play out. Here's what the Bible says, though. (laughs) Here's what the Bible says. This is why we go back. Here's the thing. The Bible is the most prophetic word. I don't need that subjective word out there. I have the most sure prophetic word, the Holy Spirit's interpretation of Scripture. So we want to talk about this real quick. Everybody's got an opinion, but we go to the Bible Again, remember what the Bereans did. Paul came into town. He preached. The Bereans said, Paul, we love what you're saying. We receive it, but we're going to go check to see if it's in the Bible. And if it is, we'll believe it. And that's why I have written on the bottom of my notes, every single teaching I give, search the scriptures to confirm if this or any teaching you hear is true. If you can't see Bible verses backing up what I say, throw it out. If you can't find Bible verses backing up what you hear your favorite preacher saying, throw it out. Because we are a people of the book. Biblically speaking, there are a number of factors to be considered. Certainly, the Bible is clear. God is a judge and God does judge. Both Old Testament and New Testament. Both back then and today. It is an absolute certainty. We see in 1 Peter 4.17, Peter says judgment begins in the house of God. You know, if you throw out every verse on judgment, you've got to throw out a lot of Bible verses and a lot of things apostles said. In Isaiah 26.9, Isaiah says one of the more profound statements. He says that when the judgments of God are in the land, people learn righteousness. That's what Isaiah said. They're all over the Old and New Testament. So the reality is, is God does judge. He is a judge who does judge. But we never know really if a situation is his judgment or if it's a combination of a number of factors that include, I have written here number five, there's always God's involvement in any situation. We've covered that. Sometimes that is his judgment, his, his uh, I'm going to bring justice swiftly in this situation. 
Sometimes it's Satan attacking. Sometimes it's just the man has been sinful and so certain consequences just happen. I always, when I talk about that, I, I, help, I try to help people think of the law of gravity. When you step off a hundred foot tall building, the law of gravity doesn't hate you. It's just you fall a long way because that's how it is. It's just if you just jump off of a building and splat. The law is not against you. (laughs) It's just that's how the world is. And so a lot of things happen because sin has consequences. There are just spiritual laws that are as real as physical laws. And so when you sin, 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 eventually there is a consequence. That's just how it is. And so there are, there's the mankind's involvement. There's the groaning of creation that Paul talked about. There's so many factors. And so to be able to say this pandemic was or was not the judgment of God, well, it could have been the Lord was involved in some way, the satanic attack in some way, man's sinfulness, the groan of creation. Uh, because of the fall, Paul talked about there's this groaning within the created order. We don't ever know what percentages ever. We just step back and say, you know what? What we do know is God is using this situation, no matter if the enemy's involved, no matter how sinful man has been, no matter how many successive generations have rebelled against God, you know, all these factors we know, God is trying to use this situation for his glory and for your good. That's what we know. And so when people say, Derek, what do you think? Is it the judgment of God? Well, it could be. He didn't appear to me and tell me. And so we just go with Scripture that says, God does judge. God is a judge. And so, you know, we just, we just we point to the higher narrative. No matter what's going on, we want people to know Jesus. We want people to love Him and worship Him and put Jesus in the first place of their life because that's how life works best. Now, why do I even bring that up? Well, it was in, it was in discussion a lot. In fact, I, when this coronavirus began unfolding, I actually saw like Washington Times, major publications putting out apocalyptic articles saying, Pastor so-and-so says, this is the end times. What do you think? You know, these, these articles started coming out And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like unbelievers are talking about eschatology more than the church. And so I address that because there are people in the church, many churches, many leaders, in fact, many pastors who are so uncomfortable with this subject. And I have my reasons why I feel that it's uncomfortable for people. I think it has to do with, with, obviously we have to know the Bible, but there's sometimes woundedness in our heart and... And so we can't imagine a good and loving God that judges people. And so we just, we erase a lot of Bible verses instead of wrestling with why are those there. We, we don't get to scratch Bible verses out. That to me is idolatry. That's making God in our own image. If it says it, we have to wrestle with it no matter how terrifying it is. We need the love of God and we need the fear of God. And so when we avoid talking about a subject that some may say, I don't know about judgment of God, it's, it's like this. It's like if I, if I never tell Caleb, my son, Caleb, life's hard, man. It's, it's tough. There's ups and downs. There's, there's good days, bad days. If I don't ever say that to him, 
And I just paint this pie in the sky. Everybody will love you. You're going to just get rich. And you're just going to be Willy Wonka, just, just eating candy all day. Great. You know, if I set him up with that kind of pie in the sky thing, then the first time he gets a hard season, what's going to happen? It's a train wreck. So I, my, part of me being a faithful dad is I, as I try to help him navigate the real world. That's what I help him do as he grows up. So when I don't ever say to him, hey, bro, life gets hard sometimes. And you, just, you, know, you need a network, you need people, family, you do this, do that. So when we don't tell people that God is a judge and judges things, when he gets involved in a punitive way and pulls up kings, pulls down, pulls up leaders, pull, you know, when he does his thing, if we don't set people up with that kind of understanding, it, it, they kind of end up going, I, I thought it was going to be different. So I'm questioning everything now. No, we have to paint a, a clear biblical picture for people, and that does involve God's judgments. I've gone way too long on these. I apologize. Lord, forgive me. Last thought. The late Rabbi Zacharias, the late Rabbi Zacharias, it pains me to say that he is the late Rabbi Zacharias. He just passed away recently. But his mantra was helping the believer think and the thinker believe. So I've shared a number of things tonight. Let's prayerfully think through what is unfolding in the world today. Pray about the remarks I've just shared and search scripture dutifully. Develop your theological convictions with supporting verses. You know, don't just go, I feel this, so I think it's true. No, no, get verses, get Bible verses, and and that will develop a biblical perspective. We need it now more than ever. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want to believe all kinds of false doctrines because we don't know the Bible. And we don't want to lead other people astray because we're, we, we haven't read Scripture, so we don't know. So my exhortation, be a man or a woman of the Word. Devour it. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry I went long. Lord, forgive me. We'll end right there. And then we're going to have a group prayer time real quick. Real quick one. Bless you, Facebook. We love you. We'll see you next time. Caleb, come up here and pray. Lord, I pray in the name of God that um, we will all have a fun day today and that you will bless everyone, that 